it's uh, good to be here with you. It's good to have you here. And uh, appreciate everyone taking the effort to uh, sign up online and let us know that you're coming. And, uh, you know, we, we now have a list of people with good intentions that just couldn't get up at this early in the morning. Um, and so, you know, most Sundays in the past, we didn't have any idea of good intentions. We only knew the people that came. So now we have two lists, those that came and those with good intentions. So uh, it's, uh, it's really, really helpful. And uh, we're glad to have you here on what is a very special Sunday as we uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I do want to just, a couple of housekeeping items uh, just to, uh, while I'm here, is the first one is just to encourage you when you get home, or uh, our online worship starts at 10.30, okay? Uh, Most of you remember that. And even if you don't watch the whole thing, if you're able to just find YouTube on your phone or on your computer and go and click like, presuming you like it, um, it helps. It helps uh, just to, to get the word out or share it with people or whatever it is. Like, so just because you're not watching it online, you can still help us as a church get word out about what we're doing by simply liking and sharing and still being active. On, uh, on social media regarding our worship services. So I uh, uh, just want to remind you about that. And the other thing is, I know we're a little bit out of practice, and so um, for different households, the spacing rules are uh, at Lawson Road. We've measured all the chairs, and it's four chairs between households. Okay, so uh, there's no, uh, nobody's in trouble or anything, but just uh, for now, we're moving forward, just to uh, emphasize that, that there's four chairs between households. And uh, if, if you see people coming in, you may need to just move around a little bit to help them, help them fit. Uh, I think our 10.30 service, we're pretty much right at capacity, so uh, we're going to have to be a little more careful about that, depending on how many people had good intentions. We have, uh, at Lawson Road, uh, really for most of this year, been working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, we, we've made it through about seven, seven, eight chapters. And uh, we're, we're taking a break from that verse-by-verse approach to it and, and just using today to look at how the resurrection impacted the first church. Uh, we already saw a little bit of that in our reading uh, as... The, the disciples of Jesus were despondent after his death. And, and even when they meet him walking down the road, it's almost like they either his resurrection body is different so they don't recognize him, or they're just so sad they're not paying attention to much attention to what's going on. Maybe a combination of both, or God just closed their eyes. Whatever happened there, they didn't recognize Jesus. But their conversation is telling as they say, we are sad. We were in Jerusalem. We were there for Jesus' entry. We were there for the weekend, uh, for the Passover, and now Jesus is dead. And we didn't expect that to happen. And now we're headed home. So they're, they're going through this difficult time, this difficult adjustment. They're trying to reconcile in their thoughts what is going on. How can they How can they make sense of the events of the weekend? And then when Jesus does reveal himself to them, 
and they recognize him around the table, uh, around the, the broken bread as they eat together. Their first thought is, he's a, he's a ghost. They weren't expecting resurrection. And I think this is really important to say, hey, the disciples were skeptics. The disciples who went all over the place telling everybody that Jesus was alive started out themselves as despondent skeptics. First, they didn't know what to think because they believed he was dead, and that was the end of the story. Second, when they saw him, they believed he was a ghost. And Jesus himself had to prove to them that he wasn't a ghost. So what I intend to do this morning is to look at the first five, uh, to look at the speeches in the book of Acts. Acts is usually thought of as a story, a history, but really it's a collection of speeches that are connected by a narrative, connected by events. And as we look at these speeches in the first few chapters, we're going to go to chapter 13. We could have gone further, but you wouldn't want me to do that. Uh, in the first 13 chapters, we're, we're going to see how the resurrection uh, is prominent in those chapters. So uh, the first five chapters, let's see if this works. Let's go back. Yes, the first five chapters all have uh, speeches. Well, the first chapter is simply a description of the resurrected Jesus meeting and talking with the, uh, with the 12. But after that, uh, chapters 2 through 5 have these speeches by different church leaders. And they, in, in each of their speeches, they always come around to talking about the resurrection. And then if we go a little bit further, we get to chapter 7, chapter 10, chapter 13. We've got some more speeches here at regular intervals. And again, we see these um, statements about the resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus is alive. He is not dead, even though everyone saw him killed. And an important aspect that you see time and again in these statements is the idea of witness. They say, we are witnesses. And if we were to go back to, to chapter 1 of Acts, we see that Jesus told them, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. And so now as they go and they tell people about the resurrection, it, there were a lot of people that had seen the uh, Jesus at various points in his life doing different things and teaching. But they were witnesses, not just to his ministry, but also to his resurrection, that they were able to confirm it. But it's not as though they were the only witnesses. Because we're told that Jesus appeared to many people. Think how easy it would be to debunk this resurrection story. All you would have to do is say, has anyone other than these 12 seen the resurrected Jesus? Can anyone produce the body? Like anyone out there. But if you have 500 people that can all say, no, I saw the resurrected Jesus, like that becomes a lot more difficult. You've got a lot of eyewitnesses that Jesus is indeed alive. Now I want you to notice the diversity, not just of how the church talked about the resurrection. The, church, the, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a one-dimensional talking point. Uh, we see that in, in the... Oh, there's a lag. Sorry. 
we see that um, the first two speeches involve the apostles speaking to the crowds, the crowds of the day of Pentecost, the crowds in the temple. And, and, and in that context, they bring up and say, hey, all you people out there, you need to know that Jesus is alive. The next one we see is um, the next three occurrences have the apostles and, and Stephen defending themselves. They're in court. They're under trial. And, and as part of their defense, they're saying, we're still good Jews, but we know that Jesus is alive. Okay? And then the, the last two involve preaching to people that never met Jesus. And, and, and so as they tell them, as they introduce people to Jesus, they don't just introduce them to his ethical teaching or to you know, his healing ministry. They introduce them to the resurrection. They don't introduce them to his birth and tell that story. But they always come to the resurrection. And so we're going to look at these three ways that they used the resurrection in the first church. Three ways that the resurrection was important to them. The, the first is that they often, as they went about their business in Jerusalem, that's where the church begins, encountered the very people who had crucified Jesus. They were dealing with the same people running into them in the streets. Um, sometimes it was simply the crowds. They knew that if they spoke to a large crowd, that there were people in that crowd who had cried out, crucify him, crucify him, on that Good Friday. And, and at other times they found themselves in the very same courtrooms, in front of the very same uh, leaders, making decisions about their, their freedom. And, and in that context, the apostles um, spoke about the resurrection in a very particular way. You see, they were able to say to these people as they looked at them, that you, you specific individuals were the ones who crucified Jesus. And that's a bad thing for you to do. But... Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. So think about it, though, for a moment. These people have killed your best friend. They've killed your hero. They've killed the person that your hopes and dreams are hanging on. And now you have to talk to them. Now you have to talk to the killer of your best friend. And not only that, you have this particular message for them that they have an opportunity to repent. They have an opportunity to apologize, to turn their life around, to now become a follower of Jesus and as a consequence to hang out with you. And so think how that plays out in your life. And what sort of grace and what sort of attitude you would have towards somebody who killed your best friend.
need to realize what it is that you've done. But the, accu the accusation, we could all do that part, I think. You're a bad person. You've ruined my life. You've ruined everyone's life. You killed that person. You deserve. We can all do that part. But it's the resurrection that changed everything for them, that allowed them to preach, that allowed them to call these people to repentance. The Acts 3.15 gives an example of this teaching. You killed the author of life. Like that's a big claim for somebody to be the author of life. That's really a, a claim of divinity there. But you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And so the resurrection is what changed it. It's that but God raised him from the dead. God has fixed what you broke. Killing the Messiah is a terrible mistake. I mean, it was intentional, but it was a, it was a terrible mistake. This is the almost mythical person that your nation has been dreaming of for, for centuries. Is going to come and rescue you and, and, and lead you into a, you know, an era of glory in, in, in God's kingdom. And, and then you kill him. It's like, if you would, discovering a unicorn, right? And you load the unicorn into the back of your truck because you want to take it and protect it, keep it safe. And, and as you take off, you accelerate, and the gate wasn't latched. The unicorn falls out and breaks its neck. And you've just killed the unicorn. Right? And, and, and it's the only one. It's, you don't know of any others. How do you come back from that? How do you come back from killing the Messiah? And yet, the message is that God has fixed it. You killed him, but God raised him. And, and so this, the, the resurrection changes the way that they interact. Now sure they have to repent, they have to change. You know, it's it's not just a, a get out of jail free card. They become followers of Jesus, but they have that opportunity, an opportunity that many of us would not give someone like that. But it's because of the resurrection. If your best friend came back to life, you'd feel not so bad about the people that had killed him, right? Or her. So because that, God acted in an unthinkable manner and fixed the very people that sought to destroy him, now they have an opportunity to become his followers. So that's the first thing. It's this idea of fixing, that, that the specific people that, that killed Jesus had an opportunity to be fixed. And that's the first way that the resurrection changed their outlook. On life. The second is uh, found as we look at uh, Stephen. We talked about him, if you were here last week or watching online. We talked about Stephen last week. And as Stephen is defending himself against accusations of being a, an unfaithful Jew, a heretic, um, he doesn't specifically mention the resurrection. 
But at one point at the end, he looks up to heaven. And, and the heavens open and he sees Jesus. He tells everybody that he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. And, and clearly death had not ended Jesus. And so these leaders, these Jewish leaders who had had Jesus executed as a way of getting him out of their lives, now that Stephen is representing everything they were trying to avoid, that the, the, the legend, the story, the mission, the ministry of Jesus would continue because he says, I see him alive at the right hand of God. And in reaching this point at this climax of his sermon, Stephen had started with Abraham. And then he had talked about Joseph. And then he had talked about the prophets. Uh, and, and he traces Israel's, Abraham, Moses, uh, Joseph, Moses, prophets. Yeah, he traces Israel's history. And in doing that, what he's saying is that all of Israel's history, all the wonderful things God has done, the miracles God has performed, the people God has chosen and used, the prophets and the messages and the teachings that he has written and preserved for us, the Psalms that inspire and comfort us, all of that, he says, comes to fulfillment in Jesus. And, and not just in Jesus' birth or in Jesus' ministry, but it comes to fulfillment in the resurrected Jesus, that Jesus is now the Lord of all, that he is at the right hand of the Father. And so, a way that these people saw the resurrection of Jesus was as the climax, the culmination of their history with God. This is what it was all building for, this moment. Can you imagine being at that point in history and saying, we're there now? Like, like this is it. This is what everything has been about. Jesus himself uh, gave a similar message, made a similar point in our reading from Luke. Again, actually, it was just a couple of verses before that. Let me get through this. Um, a couple of verses before, we see that, that Jesus says, and beginning with Moses, he's talking with these guys he meets on the road, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he points out to them in all the scriptures, he explained concerning himself in all the scriptures, when Jesus wants to say, who I am, when Jesus wants to say, no, I'm not dead, I'm alive, when Jesus wants to say the resurrection is real, when Jesus wants to say there's hope to continue, he says, I'm going to begin with Moses. And then I'm going to go to all the prophets, and I'll convince you that the Messiah was supposed to suffer, and on the third day come to life and to be Lord of all. This is what it was building to. You should have known this. You should have expected this. But now you do. And, and so the, the resurrection uh, energized these first Christians because everything that they had believed, everything they had practiced as faithful Jews was now coming to fulfillment. This was the moment their hopes were being completed. And so then the third way that we see the early church um, using the resurrection, was in their preaching. Okay? And these are probably not the only three, but they're three. Was in their, their preaching. And whether it be to Gentiles, um, Peter, when he goes to 
the first Gentile's house, Cornelius. He um, includes there in that story of why Jesus is significant. Cornelius was a believer in Judaism. And, and so he got this message from God. He sends for Peter. Peter comes back and says, you've been doing really great. It's because you've been doing really good, great. It's because you're faithful. It's because you know the Lord. It's because you're allowing God to permeate your life, even as a Gentile, that God wants you to hear about Jesus. And when I tell you about Jesus, I want you to know about the resurrection. And similar, the second time in Acts 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas go, they travel from, really from uh, more in the area of Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon, up into modern-day Turkey, the center of, of Turkey. And, and they go to a synagogue up there in, in the center of Turkey, and that's a long way from Jerusalem. And there's no internet, no telephone, you know, no you know, carrier pigeons. And so they, when they go there and they, they spend time in the synagogue, the people there say, hey, tell us what's going on in Jerusalem. And uh, they were more than happy to do that. It's like, yeah, we'll tell you what's going on in Jerusalem. Let, me tell, let us tell you about Jesus. And, and hear how he was killed by the Jews there, but then how God brought him back to life. That's what they want to talk about as they go and they tell people about Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is good news. And both of those passages describe this as good news. They use that, those words as they carry on. It's good news because it's news of peace, peace with, with God. It's good news because Jesus is now risen, ascended at the right hand of God. He is Lord of all, and that is good news. It's good news because history has reached its climax. There's no more waiting for God to establish his kingdom, to, to start the new creation. This is happening in our lifetime, it's good news. And so they tell other people about it. The resurrection fueled the spread of Christianity in the first years of the church. Now, I don't believe there's any competition between the cross and the grave. I don't want you to hear me saying that. But I think that we, we can at times... Um, uh, this will sound strange. I think we can at times overemphasize the cross. Okay? Uh, you know how many people have you know, crosses around their neck? No one has empty graves around their neck. Right? It's kind of hard to fashion. I don't know what it would look like, a big O or something. I, I don't know. But, but we, the cross has become the dominant symbol of Christianity. But it only tells half the story. The empty tomb completes the cross. And so I want to suggest to you today that the cross doesn't prove who Jesus is. The cross alone doesn't prove that God loves us. The cross doesn't prove that sin is forgiven. The cross doesn't promise us eternity. The cross doesn't defeat death. In fact, it is death. The cross by itself simply tells us that Jesus died 
like everyone else in history. And so, you can tell me all those things about the cross, but there's no proof, there's no evidence, there's no support for that if Jesus just dies and is buried. And that's the end of the story. Death has the final word. But the empty tomb, the resurrected Messiah, now that's good news. And that changes everything. The tomb tells us that God has defeated death. The tomb tells us that God's kingdom is reality. The tomb tells us that God has the power to break sin's hold on us. The tomb tells us that God traveled through death because He loves us, because He he came back and He told us that. He said, I came through, I'm here because I love you. Go send this message of good news to everyone because I want the world to know. The tomb proves that everything that the cross has professed, every claim that is made about the cross is true because of the empty tomb. The tomb proves that Jesus is who He said He is. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And the revolution has begun. Not the overthrow of the Romans, but a new creation, a new way of living, a new set of expectations that we're all invited to participate within. You see, if the resurrection shows that God can fix and forgive those who killed Jesus. There's also hope for you and for I. There's hope for people who've been hurt. There's hope for broken marriages, for those who failed at school or at business, who are in debt and jobs, for those seeking meaning and purpose in life, for those who need forgiveness or those who need to forgive others, for those needing new beginnings, new life. If death can be defeated, then nothing can stand in God's way. The resurrection doesn't remove suffering and hardship. We're here in April of 2021, six feet apart, wearing masks, missing people that we love as witnesses But the resurrection doesn't remove hardship and suffering. We're here as as witnesses that Christians are not somehow exempt from the hurts of the world. But we're here as witnesses to the power of the resurrection to change lives. The resurrection provides hope for victory. Victory in this life and hope in eternity. Because we believe that this life is not the end of the story, that while we experience death ourselves and of those around us, that there's more to the story, that we'll see them again, that we'll be with them again, that they'll be with God, that that we'll experience new creation together. And in the meantime, we live resurrected lives of hope. The resurrection gives us hope. It gives us purpose to 
to tell others to live as though there is a reason to be living. And it's this hope that energized the new church, the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus was again alive. They believed that he defeated death. And so they took risks to spread the gospel. The Romans tried to stop them by killing them. But they'd seen what happened, what God did when Romans killed someone. That God was more powerful than the Romans. And so that threat didn't scare them. Now, I don't know about you and me, death is still intimidating, right? But, but we've got that hope that, that there's more beyond it. And for the church, it just empowered them to go and share this message with other people because they couldn't keep it to themselves. The resurrection of Jesus was good news for the first church. It's good news for you. It's good news for me today. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't joined your story to that of the resurrected Jesus, if your life hasn't been connected with that, if you haven't made that part of your life, then I'd love to have that conversation with you about what that means. Because just as we saw, even for those who had killed Jesus, they had the opportunity to, to repent, to turn around, to become his disciples, to become his followers. And that invitation is still available for all of us. And sometimes those of us that have been in the church for many years need to renew that, to say, yes, I, I, I'm, I need to be following. I need to be active. And so that invitation exists to live and experience resurrected life. I encourage you to this week to think on it. Don't allow Easter to finish today. We'll have a new sermon next week, a new topic, but take the week and think about what does it mean that Jesus is alive as I go through my week. I think it's good news, and I hope you think so too.